Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Again this evening, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll pick up there in the middle of the chapter where we left off at the end of our message last week. If you'll find your place to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 8. And tonight I'd like to speak to you for a few moments about wealth wisdom. You know, it doesn't take much thought to realize that much of the fabric of our life is made up of the time that we spend in our work and in the pursuit of wealth. But not many people have actually given a lot of thought to the purpose of wealth and the wisdom that God has given to us so that we can have a right perspective of wealth. Most people view work as a necessary evil in order to get some wealth, but there actually is a little more to it than that. And here in this passage, the wise man deals with the perspective, and I believe it's a biblical perspective, about wisdom. So it's mixed up with that under-the-sun perspective of how men look at wealth and what they think about wealth, and then there's some biblical wisdom that's inserted there for us towards the end. And certainly, if you and I are going to develop a philosophy of life, we need to deal with the issue of wealth, how to get it, how to spend it, and what it's actually for. And so hopefully tonight's lesson here in Ecclesiastes 5 will be a help to you. Look in verse number 8. The scripture says this, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There's a sore evil which I've seen under the sun, namely... Riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt, but those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go." And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion." Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. 
For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. There's a lot of confusion, I find, even among Christians, about the place of wealth for individuals, for even us as believers. Is it God's desire that we would be wealthy? Is it normal that we would experience abundance? And if God should give us those things, then what should we do with them? And here the preacher in Ecclesiastes 5 is struck by the need to have wisdom with how we handle our wealth. And certainly, There's something to be said for this for all of us as we need to come to some good conclusions about why God has given us the material things that we enjoy and what it is that we're supposed to be doing with them. Notice, first of all, in verse number eight, he calls our attention to the perversion of wealth. And he he draws our eyes to something that was arresting his attention, and that is that there were there was some oppression that was going on in the land. He says there in verse number 8, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. He says this is normal, this is ordinary, this is something that we see going on in the world even today. Many people are being oppressed, and a lot of times the reason that they're being oppressed is so that someone else can take economic advantage of them. And we're reminded that in our work and in our pursuit of wealth, we need to be careful not to twist the purpose and end up going after wealth for itself. Or in other words, seeing an accumulation of material goods as the end that we are after. Because if that's really just the end then what would stop us, for instance, from having a job selling drugs or uh, selling out prostitutes or finding some way that we could take advantage of another person and thereby make a lucrative amount of money? You know, there's a lot of ways that people can make a lot of money by oppressing other people. And so we would want to be careful in our pursuit of wealth that we actually have a pursuit of wealth which is in accordance with God's will and seeks not just wealth for ourselves, but the best for people that we serve. Because obviously wealth is usually gotten by work. And work is something that is offered to someone else in exchange for remuneration and exchange for a reward. And we want to be careful that what we are offering to people in order to receive what we would call a livable wage or, or some sort of a, a, a financial reward for ourselves, we want to make sure that what we're offering isn't something that is putting that person in oppression. Does that make sense to you? Now, all around the world, people are taking advantage of others in order to enrich themselves. And actually, a lot of wealth that comes to people today comes from taking advantage of others. And have you noticed that the poor are usually targets of these schemes? You would think it would be the other way around of trying to target those who are rich and get some of their money that they don't need. But actually, it's usually the poor that get taken advantage of. It's interesting how that works. Um, I'll just throw this in for free. I, I, I don't 
look favorably on the lottery. But you know, when you think about it, who is it that buys lottery tickets? It's usually people who need that money to pay their bills. They need it to buy food for their family. They need it for basic necessities of life. It's not wealthy people who have a lot of extra money that they could spare. No, it's usually people who are down on their luck and they're hoping, well, with my last 10 bucks, I'll buy some lottery tickets and hope to maybe get more in return. The truth is rich people are too smart to buy lottery tickets. They find other ways to enrich themselves. Oppression now is a reality. And he says, if you look, you're going to see it. Don't be surprised by it. Oppression is a reality because of the sinful heart of man. And man's sinful heart is overtaken by and operates in the space of covetousness. People want more for themselves. And because of their covetousness, they begin to take advantage of others because the selfish acquiring of wealth becomes more important than nearly anything else in their life. And so as we think about this, you and I ought to reflect on how wealth is gained. There are legitimate ways to become wealthy without taking advantage of others. And we ought to take stock of how it is that we are accumulating wealth and make sure that what we're doing is in accordance with the ways and the will of God. Now, I believe verse 8, as it continues on, points out to us that God himself is observing this oppression taking place. That he sees it going on in the world. And we know from other places in the scripture that God is the righteous judge. Those who are powerful may feel that there's no one over them, no one to hold them accountable. But the truth is that God is watching and he will hold these powerful people accountable for what they are doing to others. Now, verse 9, I believe, adds some nuance and some extra perspective to this. Because if you're tempted to oppress others in order to get wealth for yourself, then you need to consider the source of wealth. Because he says in verse 9, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. Isn't that an interesting statement? The king himself is served by the field. It's an interesting statement because verse 9 tells us this, there is more than enough wealth to go around for everyone. We know this is true. For instance, there are countries where many of the people are very poor and they suffer. They barely eke out a living and barely have enough to eat. And yet, We know that the natural resources in those countries are more than enough to provide a a substantial living for every person in that country. So why is it that so many are poor? Because there are some in that society who decide that all of that is for them. All of that is to come to them so that they can have a huge living for themselves while others struggle to get by. Now... There is enough to go around for all. And we're reminded that because the profit of the earth is for all, God made the earth to bring forth abundantly. And I believe that God's design is an abundance mindset. 
If we manage the earth that God has made and and we follow God's principles, I believe there's more than enough to go around for not just the population that's on the earth now, but even for this earth to continue to multiply and replenish and for there to be enough for them as well. All wealth ultimately comes from that which has been created. In other words, it's given by God. It's God who gave all of these things. Think about things that are commodities that create wealth in our world today. Things like coal and oil, which are natural resources that are very useful and because of that, very valuable. And those are given to us by God. Uh, Precious metals like gold and silver and copper, these are made by God and placed in the earth. Uh, Precious gemstones and, and things like that that people treasure and find to be quite valuable. These are things that God has made and God has placed in the earth to create abundance. You know, verse 9 tells us that even the king who has great wealth is completely dependent upon the earth to bring forth more wealth. A famine in a kingdom could break the king's power and take away all of his riches. He could find himself in a place where he no longer has riches himself because the earth is not bringing forth. So remember that there's enough to go around and remember that God has made things in such a way that you and I can be gainfully employed and as such, we can accumulate a certain amount of wealth. And obviously by this, I'm not thinking of all of us just rolling in uh, you know, dollar bills in our bed and having gold coins stacked all around us like who is that uh, cartoon character that always... Uh, that was it Donald Duck's uncle that was always in the stack of gold coins, all right? That's what is in my mind. That's not what I'm thinking about when I use the word wealth. I'm thinking more about the idea of having enough. Having enough for our needs to be, to be met, for us to be able to be generous towards others, and for us to be able to uh, provide what we would consider to be a comfortable life. I, I think that would be wealth. And actually, what we consider to be just getting by for most people in the world would be very wealthy. They would, they would consider that to be extremely wealthy. But he's pointing out here in verse 8 and 9 that there is a perversion of wealth. Because of man's heart, because of his covetousness, he gets the wrong perspective of wealth and he starts to oppress others. Now, He says something in verses 10 through 17 now about the pitfalls of wealth. And there are some things that we have to watch out for in the accumulation of material things or of of riches, even in our work, which we give our time and our knowledge and our efforts in exchange for money. There are some pitfalls that we have to watch out for. In fact, wealth can bring a lot of problems into a person's life, especially if that wealth is gotten in a selfish and covetous way. And you notice in verses 10 through 17, or I hope you'll notice, that there's no mention of God at all. This is wealth gotten purely through the efforts and the scheming of man. Even though it's God who created all the wealth in the beginning, it's God who, who put the abundance there, in this man's mind, there is no sense of a debt to God or of God giving anything to him. 
His wealth that he has in his mind is from himself. It's what I've gotten. It's my, it's my uh, strength. It's my ingenuity. It's my planning. It, it's me. I've found the way to get the wealth. So there's some pitfalls that he shares with us, I believe six, that are found here that we need to watch out for. First of all, in verse 10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. You know, we have to be so careful not to fall in love with material things. We can get far too attached to material wealth. And the reason is because we really think that this is where satisfaction will be found. But what he's pointing out in verse number 10 is that there is no real satisfaction in material things. In fact, many people really have this idea that if they get more things, their their satisfaction level will go up. And that is rarely the case. Many people think that just a little more money is all they really need to be happy, but they're mistaken because it's elusive. It's like the way that they would use a lure to have maybe a dog race, and they put the lure just out ahead of the dogs, and the dogs chase that lure thinking they're going to catch it, but always the lure is just a little bit out of their reach, urging them to run on and on faster and faster. And this is exactly what happens with the things of this world. We think, well, if I could just get a little more, if I could just accumulate a little more, if I could just get a bigger house, if I could just get a nicer car, if I could just get this money problem solved or that money problem solved, then I'll really be happy. Then when I really have arrived, that's when I'm going to really be satisfied. And it never quite turns out that way. Because there's no real satisfaction in material wealth. And it's a great danger to fall in love with money. Because if you fall in love with material things, then you're going to lose hope for your life if you happen to lose those material things. And you ought to know that those things are fragile. So there's no real satisfaction in material wealth. The second pitfall is that in verse 11, he says, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? So he tells us in verse 11 that when you get some wealth, there's going to be a whole bunch of people in line who want it. They're going to decide, oh, you got some money. Good. You say, who, who will that be? Well, the IRS will be first in line. They, they say, oh, we see that your income increased. Wonderful. We want our cut. We, we, in fact, your income increased enough that now you can give us a higher percentage. You could give us even more than you've ever given before. And some people, to their chagrin, find that when they get a raise, they end up actually taking home less than before they got the raise because the IRS got involved. They would have been better off not having a raise. And of course, we all value what the government does with our money. They use it so wisely, and we all feel so happy about writing that check to them. Don't we? Good. All right. Not just the tax man, though. 
many people have in their pursuit after wealth and their achievement of the material things of this world found that their friends and family lined up at their door. They found out that you made some money. Good. Hey, Uncle Bob is here to check in. I've been behind on some of my payments and I heard that you might have something. You say, this doesn't happen. It happens all the time. All the time. And lots of other people will decide, if you've got some wealth, I want it. I want that money. That's what he tells us in verse 11. And so you end up in a place where you're, you're almost wishing, I, I, how do I hide my wealth? How do I keep people from knowing that I have some wealth? I don't want everybody asking me for my wealth. I, I mean, I just got it. And now it's like I've got to give it away to everybody. What good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? What an interesting thought. Verse 12 tells us another pitfall, and that is that once you get some wealth, worrying about your wealth can ruin your sleep. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Just having a lot more wealth doesn't make you sleep better at night. And actually, sometimes it makes you sleep worse because you're worried about your investments, worried about what's going to happen to that property, worried about whether somebody's breaking in to steal your money, worried about uh, whether whether your nest egg is going to hold up in the downturn that happened in after trading hours when you're not allowed to be able to be in there trying to protect it. And you find that you're worrying about your wealth ruins your sleep. A laboring man, in contrast to this, he doesn't have a lot and he worked hard and he, he brought home enough to feed the family and their needs are met. He'd go to bed and sleep good and get up the next day and go back to work. So he's making a contrast between these two people and he's saying, you know, there's something, there's something innocent and precious about a laboring man. He doesn't have to worry so much about the wealth that he has. Another pitfall in verse 13. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely... Riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. What is this sore evil? This pitfall, hoarding, can be a real temptation. You can get to the place, especially if you know what it is to want, to be without. And then you get some wealth, and you don't ever want to go back to that place. And so you begin to to keep more than you really ought to keep. The stories are told, and maybe you knew someone like this, of people who lived through the Great Depression and lost everything and lived through tremendous hardship, that after that time when they began to accumulate some things, they never trusted the banks again. So they would take their cash and they would stuff it in mattresses and holes in the wall and in the floorboards and in uh, pockets of their clothing hanging in the closet and all kinds of places and I've heard from many families who said, our loved one passed away and we know they didn't trust the bank and we know they had a lot of money and we have no idea where it is. They kept it. In fact, they hoarded it. They didn't ever want to spend it, but they couldn't have found it if they wanted to because they forgot where they put it all. Hoarding. Many people struggle with hoarding. 
You know, there's a fine balance in the scriptures between preparing for the future and being greedy. How much is enough? How much do you really need to keep for yourself? How much is too much? You're trying to balance. How do I make sure to have something for the future to provide for my needs after the time I'm no longer able to work? I want to have something for that. But how much is too much? And then at what point have you crossed over to having much more than you need that God wants you to use differently? So in verse 13, he says this is an evil. Riches that are kept for the owner's to their hurt. It actually creates hurt in their own life because they're so much trying to keep that which they have gained. How many families thought their parents were terribly poor because they never spent money on anything and always talked as if they had nothing And then when mom and dad pass away, the children find out that they were multimillionaires. They just hoarded it all. And you say, well, what's the big deal? At least there's something for the kids. But all the hurt from all those years of being deceived and told there was nothing when in fact there was more than enough and plenty. And then we'll see in a moment the violation of the purpose of wealth. Because one of the purposes of wealth, God gives us these things to enjoy. He gives us these things to use, to utilize in this life. So hoarding can be a real temptation. I want you to really think about it. Is the purpose of money to get and keep more and more of it? Is is it really? Well, I have to get more and more and more... When is it going to be like, okay, I have enough. I'm making enough. Our our needs are amply met. We have more than sufficient. Now what does God want me to do with the excess? So be careful of the temptation for hoarding. You'll have to ask the Lord to help you with that. Sometimes people say, well, what's the rule? That's between you and the Lord. You do what, with your money what God wants you to do with your money, but just be careful not to develop a hoarder's mindset. Have you ever cleaned out a house of someone who was a hoarder? Someone who thought that the accumulation of things was going to make them happy? It's a terrible, terrible thing. I remember one time helping a person move, and they weren't associated with this church at all. In fact, they called and asked for help, we didn't know who they were, but we, they were desperate, and so we went to help. And I have never in my life seen anything like that. I, I was like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. But everything was valuable. Everything had to be kept. Everything needed to be moved to the new place. And I'm just like, well, we'll do our best. We'll, we'll get as much out as we can. What a sad situation. A fifth problem or pitfall is found in verses 14 and 15. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. The fifth pitfall or problem of wealth is that riches or wealth is not eternal. 
And riches are not stable. Riches provide a very poor security. They, they quickly pass away. He reminds us in verse 14 that riches perish by evil travail. He tells us in verse 15 that the same way that you came out of your mother's womb, naked shall you return to go as you came. There's coming a time when you're going to die and you can't take your money with you. And you've heard it said, and you know it's true. And still many of us live as if somehow we're going to take our money with us. He reminds us that riches are not eternal. You came into this world with nothing and you'll leave just as naked as you came. Riches that you procure have a tendency to perish. They're a perishable good. I mean... Just try taking some cold, hard cash. That's not even a good term for it anymore. Take some of your paper money and stuff it in the wall. What good is it going to do you? The truth is it's going to deteriorate in there. It's going to break down. It's not going to be valuable. If you throw that paper in the fire, it's going to burn up. Your riches are not eternal. You say, well, I don't use cash. That's why I don't use cash. I use my credit card. Well, now there's an interesting concept, isn't it? We all exchange our imaginary funds digitally. I'm not sure how I feel about all this. <laughs> you say, well, it's all safe. It's no problem. The government can't do anything. Oh, they can't. I think I remember something back in COVID where governments were refusing people access to their own money in the bank because they didn't like how they were talking about the government policies. Do you remember anything like that? Interesting. So you say, well, I, I've got a way around that. I've been stocking up gold and silver. You still have a problem, don't you? Because when you die, you can't take any of it with you. It's just for this life. Riches are not eternal. In other words, riches aren't even the most important thing. But think about this. We spend much of our life trying to gain wealth, and it's not even close to the most important thing. Not even close. But it's far and away the thing that we spend the most of our time on. Something to think about. All right, number six. Riches don't solve our most important problems. Notice this in verse 16. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? Boy, that's a fascinating phrase. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Now, I want to hasten to say money can solve some problems. It can. For instance, it's nice to have enough money when you go to the grocery store to be able to buy sufficient food to feed your family. We could all agree with that. that that's something that we're thankful. If we have enough, 
we can go to the grocery store and bring home enough food so that we can feed our family and everybody is well fed. That's a, that's a, a blessing. That's wonderful. And you could say money solved that problem. In, in a certain way, it, it does. And if you've ever known someone who didn't have enough money to buy basic necessities for food and the desperate life that they live because of that, then you know what I'm talking about. Money can help with things like making sure there's a place for us to live and making sure that we have clothes to wear. Money can be a blessing in some ways. In fact, Jesus talked about money or mammon as being something that can be wisely invested for the kingdom of God. However, don't expect money to solve your biggest problems. For instance... We've already seen money cannot make you happy. No amount of money can buy you eternal salvation. Money can't make you well. Do you know the wealthiest people in the world may have access to the best doctors in the world and still die of disease? Because money can't by itself make you well. Money can't clear up your confusion about spiritual things. Money can't solve your loneliness. Money can't fix the hole that is in your heart when you are apart from God. Now, he speaks about this, and and he's painting a dark picture in verses 16 and 17 This man, he may have a lot of wealth, but he's labored for the wind. He describes him all his days eating in darkness and having sorrow and wrath with his sickness. So he's got a lot of money, but it didn't solve his problems. And so I want you to understand tonight that there are things that are much, much more important than riches. We're going to actually talk about this a little bit in our Sunday school lesson on Sunday. The very first verse of Proverbs chapter 17 addresses this same issue and reminds us that it's better to have a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. It'd be better to have a happy home and a little less maybe even struggle a little bit than it would be to have a huge house with all kinds of toys and goodies and things for everybody to enjoy and everybody in the house hates each other. Boy, if you have to choose, choose the first and not the second. So there's some pitfalls of wealth. We've seen the perversion of wealth and the pitfalls of wealth, but now I want you to look for just a moment about the perspective that he gives us about wealth in the last three verses of the chapter. Now, you'll notice a change. There is a paragraph marker, a pericope there in verse 18, and there's also a change of tone because you're going to find that from verse 18 to verse 20, the preacher mentions God four times. Previous to this, we have not mentioned God in the accumulation of wealth, in the place where there's pitfalls. But I believe what he's saying in verses 18 through 20 is that there is a legitimate way that is pleasing to God for us to accumulate wealth. There is a correct perspective that we need to have 
about the material things that we have in this life. There are some benefits to wealth, but all of these benefits depend upon the perspective that wealth is a gift from God. Now, you'll see it if you pay attention in verses 18, 19, and 20. Three times he says, wealth is given by God. It is a gift from God. Now, I'm not suggesting tonight that if you're a good Christian, God will make you wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. I'm not a health and wealth kind of a preacher. However, I do believe that God promises to care for the needs of His children... And there certainly are plenty of examples in the scriptures where God gave material abundance to his faithful servants because he knew that they would use that material abundance faithfully in the kingdom of God in such a way that it would not be selfish, but it would further God's kingdom. And so God blessed them in that way. But what is this perspective about wealth? Once we understand that wealth is given by God, that wealth is something that God has given, how should we look at the things that we have? Well, first of all, he tells us in verse 18, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion." So the first lesson that we learn about wealth is it is certainly okay for you to eat and drink and enjoy the benefits of your labor. It is the portion that God has given you to enjoy. So go ahead and enjoy that. God has been good to give it to you. He doesn't mean for you to neglect it or for you to, to, to avoid using it. He doesn't, in other words, God has not called us, generally speaking, to live an ascetic lifestyle or to eschew the things of this world as if they are the root of all evil. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So tonight, if you had the opportunity to eat some good food that gave nutrition to your body, you can say, thank the Lord, that's the gift of God. If you drove here in a reliable vehicle that carried you from wherever you live or wherever you work to this house of worship, then you can say, thank God for that provision in my life. Uh, if, if you have some clothes to wear, which I'm grateful to see that you all do, if you have some clothes to wear this evening, you can say, thank God for providing me with some raiment to put on my body to cover my nakedness and to make sure I don't freeze to death tonight. It's fine. Enjoy the blessings of God. But remember that they are the blessings of God. Because the danger is to think, these are mine. No, no. God gave them to you. So you don't have to be stingy about it. You can eat, drink, and enjoy the benefits of your labor. The the second thing that we find is this, that you need to or you ought to rejoice in your labor. Verse 19 says this, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion And to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Listen, if God has given you the strength to enjoy the things that you have earned by labor, 
that is a blessing from God. You know, there's people who accumulate a lot of things and never really enjoy them, and then they die before they even have a chance to enjoy the things that they accumulated. So if God has given you the strength to enjoy those things, enjoy them, but notice this, rejoice in your labor. You see, there is this idea that we have in our country, well, if I get enough wealth, then I can stop working. Because working is awful. I hate working. If I could just stop working, then my life would be so much better. No, no, you're missing out on it. See, God actually made us to work. He created us to work. He's designed us to work. The purpose isn't to get to the place where we can just stop working. Actually, there is a certain rejoicing in labor that God intended us to have. There is joy that comes from work all by itself. You could talk to any retired person and find out that they never were so busy as after they retired. Usually because their, if their wife found lots and lots of projects that they've been putting off for years, and now they need to get all those things done. But really, rejoice in your labor. If God's given you strength and energy to work, and by that work to, to gain a living and to provide for the needs of your family or to somehow contribute to, the, to the, the benefit of your family, then rejoice in the strength that God has given. Rejoice in the fact that God has blessed you in that way. There is a rejoicing that comes from labor. And it's not just that we go and we work so that we can get money, so that we can finally get enough, so that we can stop this dead-end job and stop working. That's not the point. I mean, seriously, if you're in that kind of a job and that's how you feel about your work, maybe you should ask God to do one of two things, either to change your attitude about your job or to give you some work that you can truly enjoy, that you can see as his will for your life and that you can rejoice in. You should think about it in that way, all right? Uh, A third truth, perspective about wealth in verse 20. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. And there's a little bit of of debate about the exact meaning of verse 20. But I believe if if we boil it down, this is what verse 20 is talking about. Ultimately, God is the giver of real joy. God is the one who gives joy. And the joy that God gives is meant to be eternal. In eternity, the days of our life will seem short and insignificant in comparison to what God is giving us in eternity. So if you end up having a hard life here and you're a believer, that's all going to be just a hazy memory. That's all going to be in the past. And once you're in eternity, all of that is gone away. Or maybe you're the wealthiest person in your neighborhood or in your community. But in heaven, that's not going to matter that much. That's that's just something that's here for this short time. And and that's that's not the joy. Joy comes from God, and it's meant to be eternal. And the second thing we find about joy is that joy is not dependent upon the circumstances of life. You can have God's joy whether you're rich or poor. 
whether you're old or young, whether you're healthy or sick, whether you're successful or failing, it doesn't matter. You can experience the joy that God can give, that God can give in every circumstance of life. In other words, you don't have to be rich to experience joy, and being rich doesn't guarantee joy. Joy is one of those things that money cannot buy because joy only comes from God. Now tonight, as you think about material wealth and try to get some wisdom about the things of this world, I hope that you'll meditate on these things and I hope that you'll evaluate the way that you're spending your life and the way that you're spending your money. And I hope that you'll ask God to show you if there's any changes that you ought to make about your approach to to your wealth. Ultimately, I hope that you'll come to see the fact that wealth is given to us not so much for ourselves as it is given to us as good stewards so that we can use that to further the kingdom of God in this generation and in this time in which we're living. God doesn't give us things so that we can consume it upon ourselves, but really He gives us things so that we can be a blessing to others. And what greater blessing is there than using the things that God has given to us so that the gospel can be published far and wide and many people can hear the message that Jesus Christ alone can save. I thought it's appropriate that we talk about wealth, and I didn't plan this out this way, but I thought it's appropriate we talk about wealth at this season of the year when so much is wrapped up around covetousness. And what am I going to get? And what, what things are people going to give to me? And, and more and more and more. And boy, we need to help our children with this. And we need to make sure that our heart is in the right place when it comes to wealth. May God help us to have wisdom concerning the material things that he gives to us.